All right, we are going to begin a brand new series this morning. Very excited about it. Uh, it's called If. If. We're going to be talking about conditional promises of God. But before we get into the sermon, I just want to say uh, last week when we talked about relationships, you know, it was Valentine's Day last week and uh, talked about love and respect and those sorts of things. And all three services as I'm preaching, there's people crying in the congregation and, and they were sad. You know, I mean, like it wasn't like sometimes it's like touching moment. You know how the I always say, like, if the ladies are crying and hugging each other, then it's, it's all going good. You know, church is going good. But but it was like there was a a, a, a sense of Man, I've missed some things in my life. There's some wonderful things that could have happened that haven't happened. And that was going on, and, and I feel bad about that, but I'm going to keep preaching the Bible, whatever the effect happens to be. But uh, here's the deal. Uh, I just want to make sure that everybody understands that we're all walking through difficulties in life. And... Uh, Trinette and I, my wife and I, we, uh, you know, we, we get cleaned up and put on clothes and come to church and smile just like everybody else. But just like everybody else, that doesn't mean that everything is perfect. You know what I mean? Go ahead, put on some decent clothes and come to church and smile at people. That's, that's great. But no one should think that that means everything is perfect. And, and so, you know, my wife and I have had our issues and, and problems over the years and and in preaching the, the sermon last week, it was just like, you know, my faith for God's plan A for marriage started to grow. And I don't know uh, if, if you guys have experienced those sorts of things where you're looking at something and you wish it was better, but you're pretty sure it's just going to stay the same. And then there comes a time where you're looking at something and you think, I think that could get better. I think there could be progress here, and, th- and that faith starts to grow. And so uh, my wife and I have put into practice some of the things in the sermon last week, and we've, uh, we've begun to grow in our relationship, and we've actually talked about things in the last week that we have never talked about in 25 years of marriage. We'll be married 25 years this summer. And yeah, so... She's a resilient woman, but, uh, but here's the deal. We all are battling and fighting for things, and we need to believe in God's plan A because we can have it if we're willing to have faith and we're willing to fight the good fight. It doesn't just happen magically, but we can battle through and grab a hold of it, and that's a great segue into our new sermon series called If, the Conditional Promises of God. Do you know how many times the word if comes up in the Bible? In the New International Version, there are 1,776 ifs. It's a lot of ifs, and many of them are just sort of in the sentence, and they they don't uh, pertain to a conditional promise of God, but many of them do, and there are ifs in there. And so uh, before we really get into the meat of the sermon, I want to make some important qualifications and, and talk about where we're going because uh, when I talk about conditional promises, when I talk about if, 
I don't want people to think that we serve a God that's moody or that changes, right? We serve a God that is a solid rock. There is nothing that we can do to change who God is. He will not change. He will not pull the rug out from underneath us. He isn't that type of God. He is consistent and strong. And so I'm not meaning to say that he makes conditional promises in that negative sense, like how people might make conditional promises to just manipulate people. That's not what we're talking about. And so let's look at a few scriptures really quickly that talk about the stability and strength of God. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Does God change like shifting shadows? No, absolutely not. So when you were a kid and you wanted something from your parents, did you wait for the opportune time? You look, oh, not time to ask mom for that right now. And you you go somewhere else. But here's the deal. Our God does not change like shifting shadows. We don't need to wonder whether or not God is in a good mood. If maybe today he'll forgive my sins, you know, maybe... You know, I better butter him up a little bit. He's not like that. He's consistent and strong, and his promises are are consistent and strong. And let's read Hebrews 13.8. Simply says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. If Jesus' heart broke for the sins of the world so much so that he was willing to die on the cross for the salvation of mankind and to die on the cross specifically, individually for you. If his heart was for you that strong 2,000 years ago, his heart is the same today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that will never change. His attitude towards you will never change. His love will never fail. But here's the deal. How we respond to God's love, what we do with God's promises, will affect how God treats us, how God deals with us. God deals with a person who's walking by faith differently than he deals with a person who's walking in unbelief. Now he's consistent he never changes and so we know that if we shift from unbelief into faith we can walk in the promise that comes with faith but he deals differently with people who are walking by faith versus people who are walking in unbelief God deals differently with people who are walking in obedience versus people who are walking in disobedience have you experienced that in your life God deals with people differently and so uh, that means that each one of us individually and corporately have an essential role in taking hold of God's promises. The promise may be there, the promise may be sure, but we have a role in apprehending the promise. If we do this, we can have the promise. If we don't, we have no reason to believe we will have the promise. And so that's what we're talking about in this series called If. We're going to look at some very significant ifs in the Bible. 
and grab a hold of their truth. So let's pray and let's get into the sermon this morning. So Heavenly Father, we just give you praise and we thank you that we don't need to worry about whether or not you're in a good mood. That we know that you are consistent, that you are strong, you are a solid rock, a firm foundation, that if we stand upon you, we have nothing to fear. But Lord, we know that there are things that we need to grab a hold of that maybe we have a piece of but not the fullness of or that we are afraid to grab hold of. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see how we can stand in faith, how we can grab hold of your promises and that we can see what your word has for us even today. So Lord, bless our time this morning. Touch us by your spirit and let us grab hold of your truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So the first thing we're going to do is look at a very important Old Testament promise, and it was the promise of land, the promise of acreage. You know, it's a, that's a fantastic promise. I wish I had a New Testament promise that said I could have huge piles of land. You know, like, uh, uh, that would be great. Um, there is a thing about fields and stuff like that, but, you know, uh, the, the promise isn't the same as the promise to the nation of Israel, the promised land. Land for the nation of Israel. Land for the descendants of Abraham. Land for the tribes of Israel. The promise was land. God started this off by telling Abraham, leave and go to a land I will show you. And then the, the promise came in to Jacob. And let's look at how God communicated with Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. Let me set the stage. I got my coffee cup. You know, I always made jokes about how there should be like different types of verses on coffee cups. You know, people always put the happy verses on coffee cups. Well, why not have other verses on coffee cups? It'd be more realistic. And so my wife put those verses on coffee cups for me. And this one is from Genesis chapter 27, verse 42, which is just shortly before Genesis chapter 28. And it says this. Your brother Esau is consoling himself with the thought of killing you. That's what. So, I like it. Makes me smile. But Jacob had pulled some stuff against his brother Esau. And Esau, the only way he could calm his heart was to fantasize about murdering his brother. Have you ever been that angry? You know, this dude was angry, so Jacob's mom said, you got to get out of here. He's going to kill you. And so he left. He fled his home. He had basically nothing. And that's where we find Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, starting in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. So, did he have a pillow? He had a rock. How many, do you have a favorite pillow? I got a favorite. I like beat up old pillows. Ones that are, you know, they're just all smushy and lumpy. And I like those beat up kind of thin pillows. Some people like the big Fat pillows, they hurt my neck. I like the thin, beat-up little pillows. Um, Jacob had a rock. 
I don't think anybody chooses a rock. You know, like, oh, I got my nice bed. I'm going to go get a rock so I can sleep well tonight. You know, this is a guy who doesn't have a whole lot of stuff. He's in a difficult situation. He's, He's fleeing his home. And he doesn't have a pillow to sleep on. And God meets him right there. Verse 12. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So the promise is I will bring you back to this land. If you received that promise, would you think, maybe I'll have to be gone for a while, but I will come back to this land and live out my days here? Is that what you would think? Seems reasonable, doesn't it? I will bring you back to this land. Jacob did come back to that land, but then some things happened. And there was a famine in the land and he fled to Egypt where there was food and he lived out his days in Egypt and died in Egypt. I will bring you back to this land. Hmm. So, Jacob ends up in Egypt Because there's food, Joseph got him food, that sort of thing, if you know the story. Uh, But 70 people, the house of Jacob, moved to Egypt. They were fed, and then time passed. They stayed in Egypt. The, The generations passed, and the numbers grew. And over 400 years later, they're still in Egypt, but now they're a slave nation held captive in Egypt to do the hard labor, and the Egyptians are not treating them very well at all. They're they're rather cruel, but the nation has grown. Israel has grown to millions of people. Their army was 600,000 fighting men, so this is a pretty big group of people that started with 70 when they showed up in Egypt. Now they've got 600,000 fighting men plus women and children, and uh, it's time for them to be set free from their bondage in Egypt. So God hears their cry and renews this promise. Let's look in Exodus chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. God is talking to Moses. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to a land 
I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So Moses is instructed by God to tell the Israelites who are in Egypt, I will give you the land as a possession. I will give it to you. If you were someone who heard that message that Moses spoke, you were one of the Israelites in Egypt, would you think to yourself, I'm going to the promised land. I'm going to have it. Did they get it? That seems like a pretty straightforward promise. I will give it to you. Say to these people, I'll give it to you. Moses said to those people, God will give it to you. But they didn't get it. Hmm. Let's keep reading. They scoped it out. Numbers 13, 1 and 2. It's time to go enter the promised land, so they send spies. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe. Send one of its leaders. So they sent a dozen people, 12 people, to go check out the land and see if it really was a land flowing with milk and honey. And the good news is, it was fantastic. They checked out the land, and it was wonderful. But then there was an interesting interaction that happened. We'll jump to verse 26. Verse 26, here's the report from the 12 that went to go check out the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. So all the nation of Israel, these millions of people are here listening to this whole thing go on. And I'm sure it was, you know, there were people that were closer in and farther away, but back then communication would have been tricky if you're looking at a million or two million people, you know. But anyway, the whole Israeli community, this wasn't a little meeting in a little room. This was a big meeting in front of the masses. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They had a cluster of grapes they had to carry on a stick between two people. There was so much prosperity in that land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But, that might be another sermon series. You know, we got if. We could do one called but. That that might not be as happy as the if one. I'm trying to be happy. You know, if it has hope. You know, but doesn't have as much hope. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. They're saying the land does flow with milk and honey but we can't have it because it's full of obstacles. It's full of difficulties. There's giants there. There's people all over. There isn't a section of the land that isn't inhabited. We can't go. The obstacles are too great. Last week when we were talking about relationships, maybe you felt like that. The obstacles are too great. That's a great promise, but I'll never have it. 
So there were, of the 12 that checked out the land, there were 10 that said, the obstacles are too great. We can't have it. But there were two that were different. Caleb and Joshua. And here's what Caleb had to say in verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. I like Caleb. Yeah. All these people, but, 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 let's take it. Go Caleb. Sounds good. He's a good guy. He's believing the promise. However, not everyone shared his enthusiasm. Next verse, 31. But, there's that one again. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. Now this is the promised land that flows with milk and honey. But what they're saying is, If we try to take it, the warriors will kill us all. It devours the people that are living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. They're saying we can't win. If we try to fight these people, we will lose. We're a slave nation, ragtag bunch of people that are... We're done. We're doomed. Is that, is that the attitude to take? Now, sitting in church thousands of years later, it's easy to look at these people and go, oh, you should have had more faith. But, <laughs> I mean, right? However, aren't each one of us in this exact same position? There are things that we are called to do. There are promises we're called to grab hold of. There are things of God out there that we haven't attained to yet, but we're afraid we can't get there because of the obstacles. And so we can be like Caleb and Joshua, or we can be like the majority, which saw the obstacles as bigger than God. Magnify the Lord, and that will minimize the obstacles, because God is bigger. doesn't matter what the obstacles are, God is bigger. It matters what the promise is. So two of them were saying, let's take the land. Ten of them were saying, the land devours the people in it. If we go, we'll be killed. There's giants there. What did the masses think? So like... Caleb and Joshua, during the debate, they're standing over here, we should take the land. And the other ten were during the debate, no, that would be stupid, we don't have the resources to be able to take the land. And so, what was the public opinion poll after that? Numbers 14, 1 through 4. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. How are they feeling? Is there a sense of excitement about being at the cusp of taking the promised land? No, there was a sense of we're all going to die. This is horrible. Uh, you know, like there's giants in the land. Ah, and they're weeping aloud. They're quite unhappy. Verse 2. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. That's great. 
Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Was that God's plan? I'm going to bring them all the way here and then kill them with the sword. No, that's not God's plan, but they're convinced that's what's going to happen because they see the obstacles as bigger than God. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. We need a third party candidate. We need someone to take us back to Egypt. So this isn't going so great. Public opinion is bad. However, Moses and Aaron, Caleb and Joshua are not content to let it go. They see the situation for what it is and Caleb and Joshua are going to make a rousing speech. They're going to present again the power of God to the nation of Israel. Let's look at that. So, Next verse is starting in verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite, Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. I love these people. They're upset. They start ripping their clothes apart. You know, I mean, like, I don't like, you know, they're a neat, they're very expressive. They would throw dust in the air and pile dust on their heads. And they they did lots of interesting things. It's quite the people. Uh, I don't know they would have been fun to lead like, you know, Moses. That would have been a tough deal. But they're very expressive. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly. So here's the speech. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So Caleb and Joshua are saying, God is with us and he is bigger than the problem. We can do it. Are you ready to take the land? Here's the response. Verse 10. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. So so they're like, you know what? That's nice, but we're going to kill you now because we need you to stop talking about that because the giants are scary and now you're scaring us so we're going to kill you. (laughs) Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. Then daddy came home. Okay, so they're all arguing with each other and then... The presence of God is visible at at the the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. And they're like, oh, God just showed up. So we've had public opinion. What's God's opinion? Let's look. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them, have you ever had God do a miracle in your life and then doubt God shortly after? It happens. It just happens. I've had that happen. Why does that happen? It's not so great. 
That's what they were, they saw, miracle after miracle after miracle, and then they're like, well, God can't help us. It's bizarre. Verse 12, I will strike them down with a a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. So God says to Moses, this is the same God who just a little while ago said, I will give them the land. Tell them the land is theirs and I'm going to give it to them. Now the same God says to the same Moses, I'm going to kill them all. And we'll start over with you. And 400 years from now, there will be enough descendants of you to where we can take the land. Or maybe 800 years. I don't know. So then Moses talks God out of that plan. Which I'll let you do the theology for that on your own. Moses talks God out of that plan. And then there gets to be the final plan. Verse 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Is the nation forgiven? Are there still consequences? Yeah. 21. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. So plan B is given to Moses. Don't go into the promised land. Go to the desert. And you can wander there for 40 years until all these mighty warriors are dead. And then we'll try this again. Think of what they missed out on because of their lack of faith. They could have been the generation that took the land. But instead, they were the generation that wandered in the, in the desert and died. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the one that could have had this. But ended up wandering in the desert and died. The promise to the people who wandered in the desert was, I will give you the land. And they didn't get it. They were missing two things. That's why they didn't get the land. They were missing faith. They didn't believe God would stand up for his promises. And then they didn't have the fight. Because if you don't have faith, it takes the fight out of you. Because you think it's probably not going to work anyway. But if you have faith... And you believe it will work. We will get there. It will happen. We just have to keep fighting. Then you will have the strength to continue the fight in the face of great obstacles. So the nation of Israel 
lacked faith, and they lacked fight. We don't want to be people, when we look at the promises of God, who lack faith or who lack fight. I'm going to invite the prayer team up. We're going to close here in just a couple minutes. The prayer teams, I mean. We looked at a major promise of the Old Testament, the promise of land, the promised land for the nation of Israel. It wasn't stated in the, if you have faith and fight for the land, you will take it. It was, I am giving you this land. And so it was, wasn't even phrased in the contingent. But it was contingent upon the faith of the nation of Israel. But again, we don't have that promise of, you know, I can't get on a plane and fly to Bethlehem and go, my land, you know, that's not a promise for me. There is a great New Testament promise that is for each one of us that requires the same things, faith and fight. And that promise is the promise of salvation. Let's look at Romans 10. We'll read 5 through 13. Then we're going to focus on one specific verse. Romans 10, starting in verse 5. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or, Who will descend into the deep? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. I remember looking at these verses and thinking, What does that mean? What it means is, If you think God is a long ways away, and you have to scale the greatest mountain, or you have to go to the depths of the sea, these incredible distance, this insurmountable chasm between you and God, is saying that's not what it is. There is not this great distance between you and God, this obstacle that holds you and keeps you back from grabbing hold of God. Instead, verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth, And in your heart, that is the word of faith we are proclaiming. So here, Paul is saying in Romans, it's it's right here. The presence of God, the power of God, the kingdom of God. We don't have to go to the ends of the earth to find it. It's right here. It's in our mouth. It's in our heart. What is this word of faith? That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Let's look at verse 9. Be our closing scripture. Verse 9. There's our if. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? We'll talk about that next week.
because there's some amazing things we're saved from. There's the simple answer and then there's deeper answers. We're going to talk about that next week. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we have to believe that Jesus has conquered the grave. That though Jesus was crucified and killed, that he rose from the grave. He is alive today. He has demonstrated the power of God to overcome death, and we can grab hold of that individually, personally. We can have everlasting life in Christ. We believe that God raised him from the dead, and we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord. That is, that we take a stand for Christ in this world. We say out loud, I believe in Jesus. And we let people know if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. We're going to take an opportunity now as we close in prayer to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray a, a corporate sinner's prayer. If you're a sinner's prayer person, it's where... You know, I want, to, I want to get forgiven by God. I don't know what to do. So then you help them through it. You, you kind of pray and they say it. If they believe it, they say it themselves. And so we're going to do that. I'm going to give you a chance to speak out loud, to confess Jesus is Lord. We'll just pray a prayer like that. And if you want to participate in that, you've been saved for 50 years, great. Participate in that. If you've never confessed Jesus is Lord, you've never looked in your heart to see what you believe, Now is your time. Believe and be saved. God's love is unconditional. That means that this promise is always available. God's love is unconditional, but salvation itself depends on if we confess and we believe. So let's pray together. I'll guide you through that. So Heavenly Father, we just honor you and we worship you. We thank you for your grace and mercy, your your amazing, incredible love for us that forgives us of sins and brings us into everlasting life. Thank you, Lord, for your graciousness and your kindness. Your word says that if we confess Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that, that God has raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. We want to be saved. And so, let's take some time now to confess together. So repeat this after me if you you would like. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. You are Lord. You are my Lord. Help me to follow you. Lord, I believe that you died on the cross, were put in the tomb, and were raised to life. Help me grab hold of new life just like it happened with you. Be brought from death to life that the old would be gone and the new would come and help me walk in your ways. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I just pray a blessing over each person in this place. I pray, Lord, that your strength would be with us, that your power would be in us, Lord, and that your joy would overflow through us into this world. Let your peace be with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.